Before we get started with today's show, I wanted to tell you about another great podcast, the First Draft Podcast with ESPN experts Mel Kuyper Jr., Todd McShay, and Field Yates, keeping tabs on the latest in the NFL draft. It's now twice a week, posting every Monday and Thursday. Be sure to check out Monday's show on YouTube as well. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to The Right Time. My name is Bomani Jones. Thanks for listening wherever you get your podcast. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. Coming up on this episode of The Right Time, we're going to talk about some of the sadder news of the weekend. And also, we will have your voicemails with your worst takes ever. But first... All right, man, so I woke up this morning and I saw something saying that the Lakers had not fired Frank Vogel, but they were going to tell him on Monday that they were going to fire him, which I guess kind of sort of means that up until that point, he had not been fired are you fired before they tell you you're fired? Like, are you like, this is kind of almost like a, like an existential kind of question, right? Like, are you fired the moment they decide to fire you? Or is it not really a firing until they tell you that they fired you? Cause the phrasing in uh Woj's story was that Frank Vogel had coached his last game, which is not the same thing as him being fired. You don't exactly have to tell somebody they're fired to fire them because you get that type of situation where someone's at their desk and you get security approaching the desk with a box and <laughs> you need to see yourself out. Yeah, or you put your ID on the thing and instead of sounding like something melodious, it sounded like somebody dropped a glass and it broke, right? Like, like, like that's the kind of thing, like you've been fired, like, like they're, they're going to let you in on what's happened. I'm not exactly sure. And Gabe was telling me when I got here, I missed this, but apparently this news came out. Frank Vogel comes out after a hard-fought overtime victory, ready to answer questions, and they ask him about the fact that he's about to get fired, and he says that nobody has told him any such thing. And I'm just trying to figure out, like, a story like this, I don't feel like this is a situation where the reporter is like, hey, I got eight people telling me this. I got to run with it right now. No, somebody telling you this has to work for the Lakers. I don't think Frank Vogel's agent called them and was like, hey, Frank getting fired. Put that shit out in the middle of the game so it can be real embarrassing for him afterwards. You know what I'm saying? Like, like ain't nobody doing that. That's not the game. And the Lakers just went out on some clown show stuff with this with Vogel. And... Gabe, have you been watching Winning Time? I read the book, but I haven't watched the series. You did? See, I didn't. Jeff Perlman wrote the book, good buddy of mine. I have not read the book. But the book, I'm told, was very, very good. The thing about the show is it's over the top, right? Like, it's one of those where it's like my buddy Brian Koppelman does Billions. I don't watch Billions and criticize the, like, dead-on realism of it. It ain't that kind of party. You know what I mean? And with Winning Time, while based on a true story, it's outsized and they're doing all the stuff with the camera filters and everything else. But it is always interesting to get a look at an origin story of something. And it is basically the origin story of the modern Lakers. It's the origin story of the bus family era of ownership of the franchise. And, you know, 
I guess I'm waiting to get to the part where we see the actual brilliance of Jerry Buss. Like, I see the visionary elements of Jerry Buss, right? With an understanding of what that franchise needed to look like in order to be relevant in the landscape that they were in. Um, But ultimately, he inherited Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and drafted Magic Johnson. And I know that they absolutely presented on the show, drafted Magic Johnson, like it was something that people really had to think about and consider. And I know that there was some people, you know, within the organization who didn't think that was a great idea. However, I can't call nobody no genius for drafting Magic Johnson. Like, that's just not, you know what I mean? But in the end, a lot of times, like I've been tweeting about Mark Cuban this weekend with Dirk Nowitzki, a great way to look like a genius is to get a once in a generation type of talent, right? And with the Lakers, what they did was they kept bringing them in. You can't knock them for the dedication to making sure we're always going to have a superstar. Even prior to Jerry Buss, when you think about it, the history of the Lakers, they basically had a superstar on the roster about 60 straight years. Like there was the break between when uh, Kobe retired and LeBron showed up. But that's what, two years? Like I want to say there was like a couple of years in between like Jerry West and Will Chamberlain leaving and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar showing up. In 1975, there were the five years between Magic retiring and then Shaq showing up, right? But you get my point. They've always got a superstar. It can make your team look really well run when you've always got a superstar. They do not look to be particularly well run at this point. Like stuff like this is when you look at a team and just be like, man, they don't even know what they're doing. Because what was the point of that? You see what I'm saying? There's a, I mean, I guess cruelty element that you can discuss, but Vogel knew it was coming. By the way, I say all this as a person who did once get a phone call because someone had read a press release saying that I had lost my job, but had nobody told me. And when I called my boss and asked if I had lost my job, though it was really a, I would be losing my job, but you get where I'm coming from. But he told me he could neither confirm nor deny. I've been in these Frank Vogel shoes. I'm telling you, right? Like, it's not a cool way to play it. But in the end, ain't nobody found a good way to tell you that you was going to get fired. Like, let's let's get that part straight. So there is a certain measure of cruelty to it. But there wasn't going to be no dignified, like superhumane way in the end to get that done. But that still don't mean that the team got to look like clowns in the process. And they look like clowns. 100% look like clowns. And so this is my question. If they looking like clowns and they having these fights basically with Clutch about who really runs the front office, because in a way I can't even really blame Clutch if they want to come and try to take over the Lakers. I see why you would think that you should be in charge instead of them. You know, I, I, I halfway understand where you're coming from if you made that call. But what the future of that franchise is going to be? Like, what does this turn into? Like, looking at the roster and trying to figure out what they can turn it into. Looking up at the front office and trying to figure out who the people are there are that can be the ones to make this work. What you got? What you got? Like, what about ownership makes you believe there's reason to have faith? Because the thing with Jeannie Buss is, and I get this, everybody likes her. She is wildly popular among people who cover the NBA. She seems to be very a very nice woman, and she seemed to be good at the jobs that she did with the Lakers prior to taking over control. 
But that don't necessarily mean that she's the person to run this whole thing. What we do know is that she better at running this whole thing than her brother was. That dude right there was a problem. Gabe, I saw your face. I saw that nod when I said something about Jim Buss. Jim Buss, I remember Jim Buss, he's drove to them games in the sport coat with the baseball cap and the long hair. And I was just like, oh, you can't possibly put this man in charge. At least daddy has swag. You know what I'm saying? I, I detected zero swag for him. But then you put Jeannie Buss in charge. And I don't know if she's a bad owner, but I also don't know if she's a good one. So, like, what's the plan? What's the program? How exactly do you do it? It's also harder to do that Lakers thing now than it was prior to the existence of a luxury tax where they could just make the call to just outspend everybody. You can, but it's not really as easy as it was before to pull off because in fairness to the people running the Lakers, that lockout 10 years ago was basically small market teams versus the Los Angeles Lakers. Like they are the Goliath. They're the ones that everybody has come out after. So what that means is the people you're going to have in charge have got to really, really be in charge. They got to be really, really good. And I just look around that team and I just don't know who it is that's supposed to actually be really good at running a basketball team. And then like down the line, what that means for what they are going to be. Like, I don't have the answer there. Gabe, you don't look like you are enjoying anything that I'm talking about right now. Yeah, man, it's not a fun time to be a Lakers fan. I mean, I'm not hating, by the way. I think you understand that, too. Like, I think I'm speaking to a lot of what Lakers fans have to say. Like, I'm not being petty when I say those things I say, but I'm about to be petty with the rest of this shit. Now, I remember, like, I think it was last year, because they won that championship in 2020, and they did. But last year, and coming into this year, I was raising questions about the competence of the front office of the Lakers. And I had all the Lakers fans jumping in and defending Rob Palenka because they just, you know, we just won a championship, da-da-da. What he did to win that championship was trade whatever it took to get Anthony Davis. No disrespect, but that didn't take a genius to pull off. Like, they filled in a couple other things with them veterans minimum joints, but that's like stuff you can do because you're the Lakers, right? Ain't nobody really trying to do that to play for but so many teams. So they won that championship. But here's the thing about winning a championship. That ain't got nothing to do with winning another one. Like the roster might help you win another championship. But as the GM, the fact that they won a championship ain't going to have nothing to do with the next one. And so after that one was over, it was a matter of figuring out what it was that you was going to do next. And guess what? They didn't figure it out. They didn't figure it out at all. I tried to tell you about that. I don't need to dance on your graves again about Russell Westbrook. I've done that many times, but I tried to tell you about that too. I also tried to tell you that you can't keep expecting LeBron James to be the LeBron James of 10 years ago. And as good as he has been, he's not at that point in his career where you're a championship contender just because you have LeBron James. I don't even know if you're a championship contender at this point in the NBA if you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis healthy. Like, I don't know. But part of the plan for the Lakers to try to win is the expectation that LeBron James is going to be a superstar in his 20th year in the league. And he might be a superstar in his 20th year in the league. Do you realize how crazy unfair it is to expect LeBron James to be a superstar in his 20th year in the league? Like how he's held up is so crazy. Like, especially for those of us who remember Kareem in his 20th year in the league. Now, Kareem in his 20th year in the league, of course, is older than LeBron was, but LeBron has certainly logged more minutes than Kareem had. 20 years into the league. But Kareem's game wasn't quite as physically demanding as the one that LeBron's playing. And he's still doing incredible things. You really going to sit up here and be like, yep, in year 20, we're just going to need maybe to get a little bit more out of LeBron. No, that's crazy. And if I was LeBron, I'd be furious at y'all for expecting that. 
Except, you know, LeBron is dedicated to being the old man at the NBA club. Now, y'all do realize he's the old man at the club, right? And, 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 and chill out, chill out, chill out, chill out. It ain't, no, that's not me saying he can't hoop no more. The old man at the club sometimes is a very good dancer, right? The old man at the club might still have some game. He might still dress fresh. But then you ask him how old he is. And you're like, damn, I didn't realize he was that old. And you're like, but why are you still at the club? Like, you still want to do this? Like, you just you just still want to hang out at the club? He's the old man at the club. Man, ain't about to win no championship no time soon. He don't need no more money. Like, next year is the last year on his contract. Here's how you know he the old man at the club. He trying to keep going to the club until his son is old enough to get into the club. That's literally what he's doing. I'm not going to stop partying at this club until the next generation of Jameses could come party at this club. The dance floor will be ours forever. That corner booth, carve our name into it. Show me the lie, guys. Show me the lie. Spring is the best time to add new challenges to your training, just in time for summer and warmer days. I've been in the gym a little bit trying to get my fitness in check so I can break these skinny allegations I keep getting. Spring is the best time of the year to take a new look at your fitness routine, dial it up a notch, and continue powering off. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row, or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. Peloton's varying class lengths were designed with your training plan in mind. Personalize your workout. Whether you'd like to add a 10-minute core session at the end of your strength class or take a 60-minute power zone ride to increase your endurance. Peloton classes are designed to help focus on your needs and goals while challenging yourself at every level. Now you can catch up on your favorite NBA games with NBA League Pass while you push yourself to new levels of fitness. Watch your favorite games and win your workouts with NBA League Pass on Peloton and visit OnePeloton.com. Peloton all-access membership and NBA League Pass subscription required. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so uh, Tiger Woods played the Masters this weekend. He had an incredible first round. And then, I mean, it's almost like he was in a life-threatening car accident 18 months ago, right? Didn't play particularly well. Then I think he shot like 78 on Saturday, anything else. What's wild to me about Tiger, Tiger's 46 years old. Him being 46 is important context. In the 1986 Masters, Jack Nicklaus was 46 years old. And that is one of the more miraculous major championships in the history of golf. It was the old man coming back on the back nine on Sunday to reclaim the past glory. Right? Like that's that's what Jack Nicholas winning at 46 was. Like when we talk about Jack Nicholas having 18 majors, that's the 18th. He hadn't won another in the last six years, I want to say. I think 1980 was the year that he had won his previous last major championship 
the 86 Masters was a gift to everybody. Not a gift to him because he earned it, but in terms of fans and spectators, it was that old thing back. But there wasn't no major championship that came after that. And so when Tiger won that Masters, I think it was a 2019, yo, what no, the, that was it. Like, that was what we got. That was the moment that we got that old thing back. It was a glorious moment, and I said it then, and I had been saying it for years going into that, that, like, we're lucky if we get one more major championship from Tiger. And so Tiger comes out, and he's looking good, they're saying, during the week leading up to the Masters, and Fred Couples is saying that, you know, he looks like he has a chance to win this thing, and we are all right back thinking about Tiger Woods winning this thing and then you fast forward a couple of rounds and in the first round and he's playing well he really might win this thing you know and you think about it wow the, you know the first round is normally the one where he has the toughest time he you know brings it into gear after that but no, it didn't happen and you know it's not like i think anybody judges him for the fact that it didn't happen but it's wild that we even get ourselves to a place of thinking it can happen like, it almost reminds me of when Mike Tyson fought Lennox Lewis. I have no idea before that. Like, the last time Mike had really won a big fight, he had lost those two Holyfield fights. And it was obvious he wasn't the fighter he was before, man, but he was still Mike Tyson. And if you had ever seen it, you knew what it was. We had not seen the great Mike Tyson in at least a decade before that. But he was still Mike Tyson, and so you still go with it. But... Even that felt more like hope against hope. With Tiger, it feels like people really expect he's just going to keep on winning forever and ever and ever. And I wonder sometimes, I don't know if entitled is necessarily the right word, but like, did we feel like we were entitled to see Tiger Woods get 19 majors? Because part of it, I think, is we had made the decision that in order to deem Tiger Woods the greatest golfer of all time, he would have to pass Jack Nicholas in the number of major championships. And I guess golf is a bit different in that it makes it, because it's an individual sport, it becomes a lot easier to like quantify just across with championships. But Jordan got six championships, Bill Russell got 11. We don't really have no problem saying that Michael Jordan's the greatest basketball player of all time. We don't really have an issue with that. We're good with that. We don't need it to match up. I don't think that Tiger Woods needs to win as many major championships as Jack Nicklaus to be the greatest golfer of all time. If for no other reason, then I don't remember them going out of their way to stop Jack Nicklaus from winning the Masters. Like if they had not made a concerted effort to stop one man, Tiger Woods is probably past him because he would have been winning at Augusta just about every single year. And they were like, oh, no, we can't have that. They weren't about to make that the Tiger Woods uh, invitation. Can you imagine if they would have had to name that club after him? Who they would have been salty. But anyway, it wasn't going to be that. But we got what we signed up for with Tiger Woods. Like everything we thought that Tiger Woods was going to be, he was. He gave us that. And we still kind of want more. Like not simply it'll be cool if we get more. We still, like, kind of want more. And, you know, when you think about it in a way, that's, like, kind of crazy. But the thing about talented people is they have a way of making you want more from them. Even somebody who achieves as much as Tiger Woods has. But there really ain't much of nobody that we want more from or that we expect more from than the people we see talent in 
but they ain't really doing nothing with it. I think particularly in sports, there's probably no one upon whom we heap more scorn than people who fit that description. And one of those people was Dwayne Haskins. Haskins died Saturday. I saw a handful of things, right? Now, I saw the tweet that Adam Schefter sent, and Adam has apologized for saying that, you know, in his tweet about Haskins died, described him as like struggling as a quarterback in two places. And a lot of players, and I think they were correct, pushed back and were like, look, man, a person just died. This isn't the time to talk about that. But what's interesting is I read, I went to ESPN.com and I read the story that was posted about Haskins and the whole rundown of his career was largely negative things. That's in part because his career was largely marked by those negative things. Now, you did have the option of writing about Haskins or talking about Haskins rather than in the perspective of an NFL draft bust, but from the perspective of a college football star. I mean, the dude threw for 50 touchdowns in his last year at Ohio State. You can choose that as the starting position if you want to. Like, There's not really an obligation for any of us to talk about Haskins and his poor performance as an NFL quarterback. That wasn't it. You don't have to do that no matter who you are, though in some ways I see why people can wind up making that mistake. Part of it is because, I mean, just viewing players as commodities, but I also think that another part of it is people tend to relate whatever the story is to whatever is the job that they do. And the people that cover Haskins in the NFL are going to do that as he is an NFL player. I get that. I understand that. But the Gil Brandt thing, if you didn't see that, you can look that up. Gil Brandt went and did a radio interview. And while he's on the interview, somebody asked him about Haskins dying. And like, just so you guys know for yourselves as a pro tip, you can always just drop your RIP and go. Um, that That's a play. That's an option that you have. Instead, Gil Brandt described Haskins as someone who was living to die. Except the details that he gave about Haskins living to die, like it didn't sound like he was talking about Tupac. Right. He was just talking about how everybody at Ohio State told him not to leave college because he wasn't ready to leave college because he wasn't mature enough to leave college. And he still left. And, you know, all these things about his work ethic and everything else. And, bro, you ain't have to do that right now. Like, that's it. And I think I saw Brandt's apology, which it was centered around his poor choice of words. The problem wasn't the choice of the words. The problem was the sentiment. Like you could have used different words and been more delicate. And if you were offering the same sentiment, the problem would have still ultimately been the same. Right. Like that poor choice of words. Poor choice of words is when you try to say one thing and you say something that sounds harsher than you intend. That was exactly what that man intended to say, man. You just messed up. Just, you know, you could have just dropped an RIP and go. But in what Gil Brandt said, The humanity of the story and what makes it truly tragic was there in what he was saying. And he just wasn't in a position to actually observe it with his own eyes. So this is what I mean. Haskins did have a poor work ethic. All those things are pretty much like verified and true. But I remember a few months ago, I was sitting around and I was thinking to myself, How in the world could Joe Burrow not beat out Dwayne Haskins for the quarterback job at Ohio State? 
right? Like, how could Joe Burrow now be so good and was not better than Dwayne Haskins, who was in the NFL and was so bad? And I went back and I went to Rivals.com and I went back and looked at uh, high school Dwayne Haskins and it jumped off the screen why Joe Burrow could not beat that dude out on the field. It was all right there. Like Haskins as a talent, it was so abundantly clear. Like that's a dude that you look at as a high school player and say, he's going to be a first round pick in the NFL. That's the type of dude he was. And he goes to Ohio State. And I think I told you in the year that he was a starter, I want to say that he threw 50 touchdowns. At that point, you basically have to go to the NFL draft. And it's kind of a like messed up circumstance. You kind of got to go because you can't roll the dice on that money. Like that money's right there. But I think about a dude like Michael Beasley in the NBA who was doing interviews basically begging to not leave college, knowing that he wasn't mature enough for what was out there. But the money's there and you kind of got to go take it. You don't have that option. Like that's one of the down things about the way the money goes in these sports now is not everybody's ready to be a grown up. But the money makes it to where we throw people out there to be grown ups before they are ready. And teams aren't necessarily equipped to help you become a grown up. Because there ain't but so many people that's going to be under that circumstance and situation and everybody's got a lot to do. But Haskins was a dude who probably wasn't ready to be a grown up. And then came out and wound up on his hometown team where he knew the owner. Like, I mean, that's a recipe for a lot of things to not go well if somebody hadn't had like the switch go off for them yet. And then he gets to the NFL and he struggles for what has to be the first time in his life as an athlete. It's gotten really, really hard. And you kicking it like you a star because as a quarterback, leadership isn't earned. It's conferred upon you by position. And so he's already kicking it like he's been there for all this time. These are all youthful mistakes, right? Like these are all things that can very easily happen to you. He was 24 years old when he died, right? Like these are all things that can happen. And I can totally see how it happens where I can personally relate to having not the greatest work ethic, but being very successful up until the day that you can't do it no more. I've been there and it can be terrifying as you look around and try to figure out how to do it. And you haven't like started developing the habits that are required for improvement because you were always just so talented. You could just go, you know, that's not easy. And he didn't handle it well in the moments where it came down, but I don't necessarily see that as reason for scorn. Not after the dude dies, right? Like if you see it as reason for scorn beforehand, I can understand that. But after he dies, what was reason for scorn to me now becomes the foundation of what is the tragedy. And what I mean is he just hadn't figured it out. And it's entirely possible that he was never going to figure it out, right? Like he could have been that hard-headed dude that was never going to get it right. Or it's possible something would have happened in the next year And that was the thing to help him realize what it was. Or you know what? The thing might not have even necessarily been in football. The thing might have been after he left this and he realized what didn't go right for him in the NFL and applied those lessons to something else, running some business or a nonprofit or whatever. I have no idea. It could have been anything. But for me, there are a few things sadder than losing somebody who just didn't get the chance to figure it out yet. 
You can say he should have figured it out sooner, but I think that's that's a bit unfair to ask of somebody at such a young age. You know, it hits us all at different times, and he comes up under a very particular set of circumstances to make him who he is, you know? And so to me, it was just so wild that he got hit by a dump truck. It's wild to me that your first thought is just not the overwhelming tragedy of the circumstance. That's what gets me about that. Like with Brent, it's like he was living to die. The dude didn't overdose. Like if the dude had died like that, maybe I get where you're coming from, right? Like you talk about him like he said vicious. Like, like okay, I get that perhaps. But this was just a 24-year-old dude, man. And I don't know how many of you know people who have passed away at similar ages. And it's the like, what could have been? Like, I remember I was writing something once about Tupac many years ago. And I was like 21. So I couldn't grasp, Tupac was 25 when he died. Like, I couldn't really grasp how young 25 was. And somebody I interviewed for the piece raised a question about Tupac. He said, if Malcolm X had died at 25, would he have been Detroit Red? Or not even would he have been, he would have been, right? But you see what happened for him in the next 15 years. And so we don't know what it could have been for Haskin in the last 15 years. But sports fans are so often fueled by their own disappointment about what could have been with these people. Even with people who don't even play for their teams. Like people who go play for somebody else. You know, part of that is just got to think some of the latent resentment that people have toward those who are more talented than them. Like all the stuff that comes out. But we never got to see what the dude could have turned it into. And that's like kind of regular sad for me because I don't know to do but imagine what it is for the people who do you know the players that had their problems with Schefter and with Brand and everything else are right we do have to remember that we're talking about people that is very important that we keep in mind that we're talking about people because when you stop and think about Haskins more as a person this does start landing with you just a little bit differently Unfortunately, the part that lands differently is the part that feels the worst. If you haven't heard, it's brought to you by the new Love Your Car Guarantee from CarMax. CarMax, here to innovate. We know you can't be on top of all the news and information of the day. No need for the social media feeds. We got you. Now, if you haven't heard. All right, Bo, this first story comes from business. I'm Andrea Shu. I'm the labor and workplace correspondent at NPR. On April 1st, there was a huge story on my beat. Amazon workers at a massive warehouse on Staten Island voted to unionize. It's the first Amazon facility in the U.S. to form a union, and it was a stunning victory, not only because Amazon put up a really fierce anti-union campaign, spending millions of dollars on labor consultants, trying to convince workers they'd be better off without a union, but also because the organizers were not some well-established union with deep pockets. No, it was a scrappy group of former and current Amazon workers who pretty much ran their campaign from their car and later from the bus stop near the warehouse. The guy who founded the Amazon labor union, Chris Smalls, he was a supervisor at the warehouse. And at the start of the pandemic, he was fired from his job after he organized a walkout over health and safety issues. Amazon says he violated COVID safety protocols by showing up at work when he was supposed to be quarantining due to an exposure to COVID. Anyway, after that, Chris Smalls and his friend Derek Palmer, who is still working 
working at the warehouse, started talking to workers, and it just took off from there. In the end, the union won by a pretty sizable margin. Now, what they want from Amazon are, of course, higher wages, but also things like longer breaks and better health and safety protections. The workers really felt that Amazon didn't do enough to protect them from COVID. Now, Amazon already pays very competitive salaries and offers good benefits like health insurance on day one for full-time workers. So expect some really tough bargaining. And Amazon has already flagged that they may file objections to the vote count. Now, a second Amazon warehouse on Staten Island is set to vote on a union at the end of this month. So much more to watch ahead. Look, man, I saw that interview with that dude and he was looking like he was also in another union. The one with like YG in them, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, like he looked like he looked like he he was a member of that union. I was like, oh, okay. And then that dude got up and he said that he appreciated Jeff Bezos going to space because when he went to space, that's when they was on the ground making that thing happen. I was like, oh, okay, we can do this. I'm about that. That that that's what's up. I mean, the thing that always gets me, though, about these businesses and their pushback against unions and like I get it on just a GP sort of level, but it makes so much more sense to work with them than to work against them. But there's just such a disdain for workers. That's all it comes down to. It's such a disdain for workers from the top that you could just try to make sure they doing okay. Instead, you'd rather have them out there pissing on themselves trying to get these packages out of there, because the thing I always have to remember about Amazon I appreciate them. And you know what I appreciate about Amazon? They don't never get nothing wrong in that box. Everything that I ask for is always in that box. Nobody is perfect, ladies and gentlemen. There's no way that you can get that kind of perfection without some measure of cruelty. It just can't be done. they like, the only way they're going to do that is just smacking them upside the head, basically. And that's a damn shame. All right, this next story comes from Science. My name's Alex Wilkins and I'm a reporter with New Scientist. Part of my job is looking at new kinds of robots and I recently found something really strange. Researchers in Hong Kong, Professor Li Zhang and his colleagues, have made a magnetic slime robot. It can squeeze through holes, grab wires, encapsulate whole objects and basically mould into any shape that they want it to. If you ever played with Silly Putty as a kid, it looks a little bit like that, except it can be controlled with really precise magnets. When videos of the robot went online, people thought it looked like Venom, the Marvel character, others thought it looked like flubber any dystopian sci-fi you can think of really but the researchers thought it might actually have real world uses like retrieving accidentally swallowed batteries or fixing broken circuits in hard to reach places although the video makes it look a little terrifying moving at human speeds it actually moves closer to the speed of an insect maybe an ant or a grasshopper although the researchers told me this could easily be sped up with faster magnets a lot of people seemed a little uncomfortable with the idea of something like that moving around inside their bodies but it would have to go through rigorous safety tests before it went anywhere near a human stomach. Also, the robot can't actually move by itself yet. The researchers did tell me they might like to make it autonomous in future. A robot made of slime. Is that what you said? A robot made out of slime. Did you see the picture of this thing? I'm going to look at it right now because I keep trying to come up with hard-hitting analysis for y'all, but all I keep getting stuck on is a robot made out of slime. Oh, my God. Oh, no. I'm not saying that would never come in handy. And maybe I would view this differently if I had kids. But, Gabe, I don't really I can't think of when I've needed that. A robot made of. We got to talk about the next one. All right. This last one also comes from business. 
My name's Josh Kane. I'm a reporter for the LA Daily News. I wrote this story about Matthew P. Hernandez out of Riverside, California. He was sentenced to two years in prison for stealing $356,000 from his company, a tech support firm in San Diego. He did this over seven years from 2010 to 2017. He was in control of the company's payroll. So he was in control of all these systems, essentially, for paying employees and stuff like that over their bonus dispersal systems. With that control, he, at some point, obviously figured out he could write himself hundreds of checks, buy a bunch of stuff with the company's credit card. And if he switched a few names, essentially, in the company system, nobody would be the wiser. So yeah, over seven years, he ultimately stole $356,000 cash and interesting purchases, obviously, with the company credit card. I think Wise got attention. Obviously, bought some tickets to Coachella. I don't know what year or if he you know, ultimately went to Coachella. I don't know what he did with those tickets. But yeah, he bought Coachella tickets. He bought himself flights to the Dominican Republic. He bought a home gym. He bought a $3,500 hot tub. He bought a knife set. He bought a watch. He told the company he was sending it to a USAA account, but in reality, he owned the account. The way that he got found out, I think he took one step too far. It was one check too many. He overdrew the company's account at some point in 2017, which set off some kind of alert within the company. Yo, it always starts with a little bit, and then they just go a little bit too far. That greed just always jumps up. And then next thing you know, you've bought $300,000 worth of stuff. Man, sometimes you just got to quit early, but they just can't help it. A lick is a singular noun. People always be like, I'm just trying to hit for a lick. If you're going to hit for a lick, you can't hit for that lick multiple times. Your next lick needs to be in another space. You got one lick in that space that you in. But he kept trying to hit for the same lick over and over and over again. And now he's going to be in jail. He's lucky he only got two years. Stealing $350,000 and they only give you two years? And you know he don't got the money. If he had the money, he would have been buying that stuff himself. Hey, this is Bomani. You have reached the right time voicemail. Say whatever you want. Get creative with it. But this is your place to talk back to the show. So talk back. Peace. So this like topic on Twitter has been trending, I think, for the last like week or so about your most cancelable take, your worst take on X topic. I thought it would be interesting to just reach out to the listeners to give us their just worst takes in general. Our first one, the guy didn't leave his name or location, but here it is. What's going on, Bo? Shout out, Gabe. The worst take I have comes from a family member, specifically my grandmother. God rest her soul. She passed away about 10, 11 years ago. And that take is she thought that MC Hammer was a better dancer than Michael Jackson. <laughs> Dog, you know how I know this is wrong? Because I have something that she didn't have, and that is YouTube. <laughs> Bruh, she was wrong. She threw that to the grave with her. But that's still my grandmother, and I love her. I don't think you understood what your granny was talking about. Since you didn't put your name on it, I got no problem saying this. I don't think that MC Hammer was a better dancer than Michael Jackson. 
I don't think your granny thinks MC Hammer was a better dancer than Michael Jackson. But she wanted to dance with MC Hammer. She ain't want to dance with Michael Jackson. She wanted to do that dance, do that dance, do that dance quick with MC Hammer. So she didn't have YouTube. You need to be glad she didn't have YouTube. You'd walk in there and your granny watching these MC Hammer videos and you wondering why she won't unlock the door. All right, this next one comes from Ben in Philly. What's up, Gabe? What's up, Bomani? My worst take, which I still contend is not a bad take. It just always starts a fight at any party is, Remember the Titans is not a good movie. It is a pretty bad, overrated movie. The football looks fake. It's really cheesy at times. I think it's just a movie that makes white folks feel better about a hard topic, which is racism and Jim Crow. But the movie overall is bad. The football doesn't look real, historically wildly inaccurate. You know, the school was already desegregated by 10 years at that point. The movie waters down what racial reconciliation would look like. Remember the Titans, bad movie. My friends say it's a bad take. I stand by that as a good one. Yeah, so I've never seen Remember the Titans because I don't really be trying to watch them kind of movies. They ain't fooling me. Like, I know Sunshine was a white dude. That's about all I got. What, hostile, agile, mobile, something like that. You know what I'm saying? I ain't looking to the movies to make me feel good about the good old days of the early 1970s. You must be high. So I am willing to trust your word, my man, that it is not a very good movie. And it makes me feel better about you as a person, that you didn't fall for that can't we all just get along propaganda. All right. I'm going to get a couple quick ones in here since they're all pretty short. This next one, no name or location. Here it is. So my worst take is the fact that I would like to get rid of all salary caps, trash, all of that. Just pure, you got the money, drop it. It would make sports so much better than the way they are. People remember the Yankees, the Cowboys of the 90s, the 49ers in the 80s. Nobody cares that the Kansas City Royals happen to win a World Series on a random time. People want greatness when they truly think about it. Stop with all these little things of parody and all that. Bring back greatness. I'm trying to figure out where the bad take is, buddy. Like, this is this is what I'm all about. I may or may not have been working on a long-term project on this same idea for quite a while that you may get to see in a few days on television. That ain't a bad take. That's a great take. You need to find better friends. Teams that need the salary cap to stay competitive think yeah. that that's a bad take. Yeah, I spy a boss bootlicker. That's what I hear when I hear that. <laughs> all right, this bonus one comes from Evan in Baltimore. I just heard the interview with Vinny this week, and y'all brought up uh, Wilton Chamberlain. I got a pretty bad sports take about him. I don't think it's bad, but those around me do. I don't believe he scored 100 points. Oh, yeah, that guy. Because they got film of everything else but the 100-point game. Why is that? I need to know. I need answers, Bo. I need some answers, Bo. Well, hold on. I don't know. If you saw Dan Clore's basketball, a love story, those like 24 one-hour docs that he did on the NBA, and he did one on the day that David Thompson and George Gervin were going for the scoring title, and they did it with animation. But the reason that they did it with animation is because there was not existing video of either of those games. The NBA was just, they was just living that struggle life for a long time, dog. That's all I'm trying to tell you. They was just living, like, who you think sat up and had this bright idea? Here's what we're going to do. We're just going to say Will Chamberlain scored 100 points. For who? For what? Come on, man. But hey, ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here 
on the right time. We do this three times a week. Gabe Bassane handling everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Remember, follow the right time. Rate us, review us, give us five stars. You only give us four stars. I'm inclined to believe you are a hater. And we'll talk to you guys in a couple of days. Take it easy. Thanks for checking out The Right Time with Bomani Jones Podcast. You can listen or follow on the ESPN app or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Right Time with Bomani Jones.